This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. My guest today is Saja Butler. What you need to know about her is that first and foremost, she is a musician. Music can't help but flow out of her. She owns her own company called Urban Monk Studios, where she has taught and continues to teach thousands of music lovers how to sing and play a variety of instruments. She is passionate about the power of music in life, and she sees music as a bridge that joins people together. It is with that same contagious joy and passion that she welcomes and loves everyone in her life. I met Saja at her home in Old Town Fort Collins. Being that we're in the time of COVID, we sat out back on her patio with the appropriate level of social distance between us. But the unintended, beautiful consequence of this time outside was the delightful sounds of nature and the neighborhood that enveloped our conversation. You'll hear birdsong, rustling wind, airplanes, yes, a nail gun, loud mufflers, and the occasional dog bark. And it truly was a conversation. I got lost in her story, her magnetic personality, and the cadence of her voice. I felt like I was sitting in the backyard of a friend I'd known all my life, and we were just passing the heavenly fall afternoon sharing stories. Welcome, Saja, to Gramercy Podcast. I'm so thankful. Thank you for having me. This is going to be such a fun conversation. (laughs) I'm so excited. Yay! Okay. Who are the three people, alive or dead, that you would like to have to dinner and why? Alrighty. Um, Let's see. I would like to have Sister Rosetta Tharp. They're musicians. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Jimi Hendrix Mm. and Wes Montgomery. And these three people were all influential in the way they just were themselves and because of that started movements so Sister Rosetta Tharp was a guitarist you know in the 40s 50s black woman mm-hmm. uh, you know large black woman confidently playing electric guitar and really taught a lot of people she was she's called the queen of rock and roll because she was the one who many artists that you really love and enjoy um, you know loved her and Hendrix, because, um, you know, he, he was such a firework, you know, in his 27 years here on Earth. And he started out uh, in the military, you know, and just, he went from the military to being so psychedelic. And he saw colors while he played. He was very mystical. He, 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 he saw music. That's what I love wow. about seeing the colors. Like, and that's, that is a thing. Uh, music therapy is, uh, part of music therapy is based on that. Uh, where you have um, people have seen colors uh, playing different notes, you hear or feel different planes with chord progressions. Uh, it's such a great experience, and so uh, he 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 also was very prophetic about life, and so it'd be nice to talk to him how he would see today's situation. Yes, wouldn't it <laughs> politically, racially, and what uh, he would have to say? Exactly right. Mm. And then Wes Montgomery, simply because he's an amazing artist who happened to have a movement. He's a jazz guitarist, 
was a jazz guitarist and he played with his thumb when most people played with a pick. So he would, it was a muffled sound and he only played like hard solos with his thumb. And you could see him on YouTube mm -hmm. and people were like, what the? And the reason he did it was because he was playing with a pick one night, he practiced and practicing. And his wife told him to quiet down. <laughs> so because his wife told him to shut up, there are now movements in school things. His technique is taught in music schools. All because his wife told him to quiet down. Could you imagine the music <laughs> the four of you could make at that dinner? Yeah. That would be beautiful. That would be amazing. Well, I have learned so much. It's been five minutes, less than five minutes of a conversation, and my mind's going a million directions with so many other questions, but those are all about music. Yeah. So I'm going to just try to keep it centered into what we're talking about today. Gotcha. And um, we're, so we're going to be really focusing on racism and how you've experienced it in your mm -hmm. life. But I want to start by learning more about you as the person, Saja as the person, how you grew up, mm -hmm. what your parents were like, part of their story, because who we are is basically absolutely from based on our parents. So Very true. Very share, true. share some of your childhood and your growing up experience absolutely. with me. Absolutely. Yeah, I was born in uh, Arlington at Fort Belvoir Army Hospital. My dad worked at the Pentagon um, during the Vietnam War, and so he did coding. And so I just happened to be there, you know, when they met me birthed at that time. Wow. <laughs> so I was born at the Fort Mill Army Hospital, as I said, and my dad always jokes, you only cost $3.75, <laughs> and that's the cheapest you've ever been. <laughs> Didn't you say he was a math major? He is a math major. So no wonder yeah. he was focusing on that. <laughs> he saw the value. My brother was much more expensive, but then over time was cheaper. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, yes, that was, especially during my teen materialistic times he kept reminding me of that so mm -hmm. but he's a computer science mathematician and my mom uh, is an artist and so I had this really cool um, balance of the left and right brain and we got to explore and think outside the box uh, we had a very highly spiritual household uh, uh, Baptist Southern Baptist of course and then Catholic because my mom wanted us to have a really great education she uh, when we moved back to South Carolina, we were up in Indiana for a while when my dad finished his master's, came back, grew up in South Carolina, and when we were school-aged, uh, she wanted us to go to Catholic school, so we went to Catholic school, and then we were Catholic, and so there was Catholic school in the midweek, and then Southern Baptist church on the weekend. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine was, how that confusing that was for it was a child, very actually. Because it was like you're going from these really, really, really rich, like, slave money, inheritance, like, white kids. Me and my brother were one of the six only black people in the school, 300. And so you have all these people who are business owners and, like, mm -hmm. old money tier, like, southern money. Mm -hmm. And, and they're during the weekend going back to at that time my parents divorced and my dad was in Louisiana so we went to my you know my mom's place which was nice but it was you know uh, a low-income housing that's really nice but still it was low-income housing mm -hmm. so I'm going and seeing these two paradoxes of through mm. most of my childhood wow. from third to eighth grade and I'm like what I, I don't know that how can I be in both worlds yeah did you feel that marginalization absolutely you and knew it, what it I, felt like. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't, because of that, I didn't have my own personality, really. Like, I tried 
boat to live both worlds. So when you were in the low-income district, mm-hmm. you tried to fit yeah. in, mm-hmm. and then when you were back, didn't work. it didn't work? <laughs> it didn't work because I saw the other side. I How did like, that shape you? Yeah, that, well, it, I, I, I turned within. I was like, okay, I'm not fitting in here, I'm not fitting in here, so I'm going to focus on art and crafts and mm. music. And at the time, I was writing a lot of poetry. Um, I did make a couple of friends, so we, we were very tight. Uh, at school, I'd talk on the phone all the time, but I'd mostly write and draw. And then I got into fifth grade, Mr. Hamilton. Uh, I was like, I want to try an instrument. So I found the clarinet and I just went to town and like played it for years, went it up mm-hmm. all the way up to first chair in state and wow. high school and just loved it. And so because of that, music, music, music in high school. That was what became my identity. I was like, okay, I'm a musician. Uh-huh. And so I did that, and that saved me through both parallels. And so in high school, I went into, I was like, let's try marching band. Uh-huh. Let's try the choir. Let's try, I did it all. Uh, marching band, orchestra, choir. And it was lovely because I saw, oh, I can sing, you know. I just yeah. sing in general. But it was shaping my voice, and I learned structure, theory, and discipline. And it really just, I I don't know, I just, I became me. Did you feel that music and and the arts like that was like a bridge between the two worlds? Yeah, yes. That was the one thing, and that's what I do today, is I, uh, I, it's actually just hitting me now why I do the song of the month. I'm like, I I choose songs of the month for all the students. Uh, no matter who they are or what they're playing, because there's one song that some may know, but some may not, but everybody always takes a good new piece of information out of that song. Mm-hmm. So when those two worlds were happening for me, I would play the same songs in both, and it'd be cool. You know, it would bridge our worlds. Mm. Soul would be great on both mm-hmm. sides. Duran Duran, I was big Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Know, so that was what, early 90s? <laughs> yeah, 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 80s? Uh, yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and so it was great. But uh, And so I recognize that, and just now I realize I'm like, that's why I do it. I'm like, I choose a song from different genres mm-hmm. every month. This month is Harvest Moon by Neil Young. And uh, and everybody, even people who've known them, I didn't know they said those words, or wow, I didn't know that riff that I always thought was hard was easy, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but it also brings out, you know, their personalities and, and they mm-hmm. learn something new. Everybody, no matter what songs you do, is music really gives you a different perspective, even if you're feeling blue about a scene or a feeling. It can like, oh man. It can clear your head so you can be in the present. Music is about literally the present moment. It is a gift. So I say the present is a present. Oh, the music I is love a present, that. right? And so, anytime you're listening to music, nothing is happening that can harm you at that moment. It's either helping or calming. And so that's why I feel like music is a, an amazing energy for everybody. I because love it's that. so present. It's so. I never put that connection together. I just wrote that down because yeah. that is that's a huge aha moment for mm-hmm. me that when you just mentioned that. But that's true. Do you ever notice that? Like yeah. I do notice it now, now. that you say yeah. it. Yeah. When you're listening to music, you're all in and you feel 
your your body feels the emotion. Yeah. You're in touch with your body, but you're exactly. also your mind is also completely focused. Absolutely. Like it's just yeah. you and music. And the experience. Exactly. No matter if it's just mm-hmm. hanging out in the shower, singing, or listening to the radio, or at a show. Mm-hmm. You're just there. It sounds like you had a really positive upbringing with your parents, even though there was the divorce. Yeah. You didn't, there was no negativity involved in your relationships with them, right? Well, there was, uh, there because was. of the divorce, yeah. There was a affair uh, that happened that I found out, you know, uh, oh. after. But during that, it caused them a lot of emotional, and at times there was uh, physical abuse between the two. Um, oh, and I'm it sorry. really wrecked up, wrecked uh, the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a relief when they got divorced because I saw they're both amazing people mm-hmm. and they needed to be apart and people need to recognize that it's like you journey with some people like my grandma said just ride the train until the stop is done when you know the stop is done get off if it keeps going keep going Good right done. you yeah. know what I'm saying and so they knew they're like okay we are obviously not compatible <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and it worked and now this was a uh, when I was 12 and my dad has been remarried to my stepmom for 20, 30 years now. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and my mom is unbelievably happy. She's written books, has works in the Chrysler Museum. And what had happened was in 2001 or 2000, oh, it was in 2000, it was early 2000. We all met at my brother's house for Christmas. And we had a ring, oh, it was New Year's. And we were all, in a circle, and we held hands, and we prayed. My mom, my dad, my mom, dad was well remarried at that point. He had come in to visit. This is my mom, my brother, his wife, the kids, and myself. Mm-hmm. And we all got in a circle, and we just did the circle of healing prayer to oh, release us of stuff. Beautiful. And it was just so cool. And because of that, you know, my mom was like, how's your dad? Tell him to say it. And you did this. How's your mom? You know, and they send stuff. They talk. You know, it's, it's, you gotta just let stuff go. Yes. Like, go through the turmoil, feel the rage, uh-huh. feel all the stuff. That I, was super wise, because <laughs> you can't heal what you don't name. Absolutely. And it sounds like it was, they were just letting those things go, naming mm-hmm. those things, mm-hmm. and now they could reconcile. Exactly. Oh, that's a great um, example from your parents of how you probably deal with conflict Absolutely. or like conflict was, resolution. Yeah, I was uh, married uh, for a bit in the, around that it was right after that time, or right before. But we broke up, and um, we had a blessing ceremony for each other. And I got that from Matt. And because wow. of that, Matt's doing great. <laughs> Man, there's already so many takeaways I have from this conversation. Oh, That's yeah. the beauty of getting to meet such pe- people I, so different from yourself. Because wonderful? I would not have otherwise come in contact with, with you or your stories. And mm-hmm. I've already been so intrigued. I mean, I've written several things down already <laughs> from what you said as I'm listening to you. Um, so did your parents sit you down, sit you and your brother down together when you were young or how old were you when they sat you down and said, hey, in this world, things are going to be a little bit different for you. When did you have the quote racism talk or did mm. you ever? We didn't have it. We experienced it. It was you just like live, right? Yeah, from kindergarten. I remember the first time I recognized I was different. I was in mini school in Greenville, South Carolina. and Mini school? Yeah, it was called mini school. That's it so was the cute. cutest school. So great. <laughs> I love that school. It was so great. Um, but it was like for K through three, and it was like on a Montessori life. Uh-huh. So it was very intimate. Like the grades shared, 
in the rooms and mm -hmm. everybody like eat. we even went to the teacher's house for like you know eat like pizza and stuff it was very family like loved mini school but um, one of my f I remember just getting there and this white girl comes up and she rubs my arm like this and she's like why are you brown and I'm like and I was just like Phew. I'm like I don't know <laughs> You've never thought about because everyone exactly. around you was the same color, so why exactly. question it? Exactly. And I, we just never was like, and I had friends of different races, as, you know, as I was telling you. And so I didn't pay attention, but then I saw. So your eyes were opened yeah. by just one little question. Exactly. So what did you do? Did you go home and ask your mom? I don't remember what I did. I was so blown away. Because <laughs> I remember... I. I I, was, I remember freezing in my arm and looking at her and just thinking, It's like a picture is just frozen in time. Exactly. Huh? I remember that because I remember she like did this and I was like, ah. Were there negative? It doesn't sound it like there were negative feelings attached. It, it was, was just curiosity. Okay. And she was probably coming from like, who's this person? Why are they so dark? Like, yeah, because everybody in her world was, was not right. that color. Exactly. Right. And so that's the first time I was aware. And then older school in the south um the differentiations grew especially in saint mary's uh, my the catholic school mm -hmm. due to just class but also um race as well because i saw like uh, everybody's here is white basically mm -hmm. um, except for me and my brother and kenny and rosalind and like mm -hmm. Kim and her brother mm -hmm. those are the second most wow <laughs> and like um, and then, you know, right when I graduated, there were more people coming. I remember liking, a, having a crush on a white kid and, uh, him not, he, he, not, he was just like, no, you know, mm. we can't do that way, mm. you know, because it was just like, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. It was the black thing. Yeah. And so because I was just liking him, I was like, oh, I like him. But he was like, no, you're black. I can't do that. So and it, so I saw, it just, it, it came in those moments. It wasn't anything negative until high school. Um, so and the Klan rallies. There were a lot of Klan rallies in the South. There were Absolutely. Still. Oh, 100%. Like, you would, they have a right to assembly, like any parade. You, you know, you have a right to assembly, so you file paperwork to um, do your thing. That's why you have, like, this parade or that parade. And so the Klan also, as a group, has a right to assembly and would probably twice a year um on a saturday afternoon like slap clan hoods on horses <laughs> and their children that's what killed me like you're slapping clan hoods on brown oh. horses and your babies are in clan oh. costumes and rebel flags marching down the street and celebrating white supremacy and so when you did when we, we all joked Black folk are like, okay, yeah, everybody get your grocery shopping done on Friday. Because, <laughs> like, that has to damage you your cannot psyche. be anywhere in town. <laughs> so they were just laying down the law. This is how we oh, still absolutely. are. Basically and we want you to know the town. This. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it was very common, like, all over the South for that to happen. And still, like, there's Klan rallies. Was there, did you not have any white allies at the time who would like apologize for them or say I don't agree with what they're doing oh yeah 100% but they were not going to go out there I mean you could literally get I mean the people don't understand the south like and that's why the south is healing faster now it was so extreme 
my grandparents woke up to a cross burning on their yard oh. um, one night uh, in the 50s, 60s. And my grandpa went out and grabbed the gun and shot somebody. He must have gotten some blood. He saw blood, so he must have hit something. They sped off in the car. But you wake up to that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Or you wake up to, uh, like, this, the movies really aren't an exaggeration. Like, like stuff happens mm. that extreme. And so because of that, I feel like the overtness in the South is allowing them to now, ironically, heal faster. Because they're like, you know what, this, this, is, this is messed up. We need to help. Versus here, the racism here is covert mm-hmm. and very hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know, I've been at potlucks and had racist jokes said to me or like literally have met people who are just like, I've never hung out, oh, what do I do, you know? More weird experience of racial experiences here in Fort Palm. You know, like, you know, like my it's, knee, it, it's very close. Like, my friend, my one of my very close friends, his uncle was a Grand Dragon. Okay, okay, okay. So it's like, and he's, you know, obviously a white guy. And we're friends. But he was just like, I, I, I can't do anything about that. But I can be, we can be friends. And I was like, great. And I'm like, wow. I know not to go over your house. <laughs> so there's not the need to feel like you have to... F- fix things no. is maybe fixing things just the friendships the friendships it is about intimacy and that's what we need to recognize today it's like mm-hmm. when you, when we've had these we've done the civil rights movement where we've had to collectively go out and and battle and i've been talking to people my dad and other older people mm-hmm. about that and they're like that was different now it's turning us into targets to mm-hmm. mass do things on mass, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We are getting run over or shot mm-hmm. or, and everything. So now it's about what we just do in the South is talk these engagements mm-hmm. here and doing that closely and intimately as well as that is also the thing with, uh, you know, uh, the coronavirus as well as politically in this country. We need more intimate, close conversations. Yes. Because everybody's in shutdown. Yes. You can't do anything big anymore. You know, we're doing the protest en masse because people are just angry. But it is just the effect showing you what the problem is. But the next level steps are this. Are the intimate ones. Are the intimate ones, the face-to-face. Do you feel like we're in, like, a second Great Awakening or a second Civil Rights Movement? 100%. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We are in a shift. The world has not seen in quite a long time, probably since uh, like many, many, many hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the last big uh, plight was the Renaissance. Industrial Revolution didn't even feel this big. Like it is, that's why the, I mean, you're literally seeing it on the earth. The, sh- the, the shift, the polar shifts mm-hmm. are shifting. Mm-hmm. Everything is turning. Mm-hmm. We're in an upheaval moment mm-hmm. because we cannot literally do this anymore. No, we can't. Resistance is futile. Like that's why you're seeing the explosive extremist sides. Yeah, the big pushback. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's because anytime you have that kind of pushback is because it's about to break down yeah, and die. They're afraid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because they know mm-hmm. it's ending. It's over. Yes. But you it's like anybody calling you out on anything. Like, yes. I didn't need that time game. I didn't Okay fine. I've also heard I've also heard the phrase we um, if we don't um, heal our pain we project it so anything that we we don't deal with we're projecting it on others so maybe that that great fear that people have is 
they were raised with fear of others yeah. and so they're projecting it back onto it's your problem not right. my problem absolutely so it, that's exactly it and because it, it's easy to project and because Lame. it keeps mm-hmm. you distracted yes you personally distracted from healing within from doing the work right mm-hmm. so we make yeah. people pay for our pain we do and that is the main issue that is happening from the racial level, political level. So they're reacting, is what I say, instead of responding. You see? That's good, yeah. Because that's, that's really good. There's no, when you respond, mm-hmm. you can genuinely influence the conversation. Mm-hmm. When you react, it's just about your pain. You're triggered. Ooh, that's excellent. You yes. You say yes, I it. love that. Uh huh. That's it. Like, so, and, and you could take this in your personal relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody, like, I didn't need that. Time. Okay. Let's just take a moment off the cupcake and yeah, I'll go walk back. outside. You know? Step back, take time take to a think. Moment. Yeah, take time to do some research. Exactly. Use some critical thinking. Yes, don't just react like knee jerk, right? Absolutely. And yeah. so you, you have these, you have these moments, you know, where of course if you're you know in a defense mode, it's justified. That's absolutely because that is pushing whatever it is that is harming you away from mm-hmm. you. You're in fight or flight. That's absolutely mm-hmm. justified. Mm-hmm. But most of the reactions we're getting is triggering, triggering people due to the fact that they need to hold on to something because they don't have a self-identity. That's the root cause of it. They identify with their mm, uh, yes. political affiliation, religion, neighborhoods, class, yes. race, yes. whatever. So you're t- daring to take away their whole identity because they haven't had their own Mm -hmm. and so they are Mm -hmm. right and that's keeps you distracted keeps them distracted so as long as they do that you know they don't have to but if you sit there and just allow them to do what they need to do reactions really aren't that long (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying Mm -hmm. they come up and they come down well i feel like black people have more of a they're better at that. They've mm-hmm. been so used to have to just let mm-hmm. them, let this other person get all that out, mm-hmm. and then I will just respond kindly, and mm-hmm. we'll just hope that that goes away. Like, I've mm-hmm. seen that time and again, mm-hmm. where they are more gracious, mm-hmm. they are more forgiving, mm-hmm. and they just say, well, they just, they didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. They give them more benefit of the doubt. Um, do you see that? Do you yeah. feel that? Do you act that I way mean, a lot? Absolutely. Just to kind of keep... Keep all the emotions just at bay. Keep them down low. But then, I mean, aren't those called microaggressions? Right. And how do you deal with those personally when you are the one who's constantly trying to make everybody else just <laughs> at ease all the time, right? How do you handle that? Well, I'll tell you. It's because uh, black people are been, uh, constantly judged and persecuted. So we don't have to build up that, like, thick ball of, like, oh, no, they hate us. Like, who the hell cares? Like, we're, like we're, we're there, number one. Number two, we have a spiritual center. Mm-hmm. Like, most mm-hmm. black uh, people on earth um, were raised with a spiritual side. Now, we go away, come back, and do whatever with it. But it's still, I can talk to black people who have been atheists and come back, and they still are conscious on a spiritual level. Wow. Right? And it's accepted. If I do a same spiritual talk, especially around here, I've, I've noticed... Um, you know, because of uh, religious trauma, but uh, I don't think you're right. I, I, I just need data. I, I need data. White people like data. Like, oh, wow. I love uh-huh. data. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, 
just feel something, you know? Yeah, spirituality is not data driven. <laughs> exactly, right? It is a trusting, open, resonant feeling thing. And that that those two components make our race um, allow allowing, you know, because it's like, all right, y'all need to chill. Like that's what most of the like vernacular that mm-hmm. people are using, mm-hmm. chill, relax, yeah. you know, yeah. comes from us because we tell each other that we call each other out uh-huh. you know if that's out like we express ourselves i think white america especially is very repressed um i would agree you cannot say certain things around certain people gotta be careful what you do like don't look like that don't act like that oh honey pipe down you know that's the truth it, you know versus us we're just very loud and vocal people yes and we sing we're like oh you know and again we keep calling each other out and we say why do you feel that way why do you feel that way, right? Emotions aren't a bad thing. Absolutely. You, I feel like you use them in a very positive mm-hmm. way. Yeah, um, and it's frightening to people, white people, right, who are, if you've been shut down for so long, it seems scary, right? It does. But it's not scary. It's just, it's actually, you're you're seeing the, the, the contrast because of the repression we're we're fine like we've been loud and crazy and nuts and happy mm-hmm. and spiritual and musical for like continuously you know what i'm saying it's like mm-hmm. and angry we get to be angry too and i think that is the key like we get to have that emotion so then we're tagged as angry all the time but that's not it that's we true. just absolutely get to freely be that and many white people have a have they can't they're like no yeah. we can't we gotta Oh, I'm glad you used the word free because I have to say that when I'm around my black friends, that freedom to be mm-hmm. is is the biggest feeling. Yeah, you get to chill. Yeah. <laughs> the freedom to explore and express all those emotions, um, and especially just the joy of community. I love being amongst a, a group of black people mm-hmm. who just have such joy in the group, whereas with a lot of white people, like you're just mentioning, and I'm experiencing myself. Mm-hmm. It's it's stilted. Yeah. It's cold. Mm-hmm. We can't really explore a lot of those emotions because you might offend somebody. Right. The it's freedom the to be is yeah. not there as mm-hmm. beautifully as it is in the black community, and that's mm-hmm. a gift. Mm-hmm. That's a gift we can learn and share and mimic and mm-hmm. and we're just gonna have to be around each other more that's to it. become that's a more exactly more and enmeshed in it and feel more comfortable and mm-hmm. just start exploring all of those emotions mm-hmm. I think we re- like you said we repress way too much absolutely and that you know and that's all and that's fine but it was like but you it, I, you see I, it's like I see more of my white friends gifts than they see in themselves because oh, I'm beautiful. so free I'm like you are why aren't they like not seeing like mm-hmm. their gift Part musician, part yeah. counselor, <laughs> part psychologist, right? It's so funny. It's so funny. And so how did you grow this this joyous, optimistic side of you? Have you always been this? Or is yeah. this something you have grown over time through conflict or through uh, trials? I've always been like this. I don't remember, like, ever. I'm just a, I'm a happy person. Like, I have low days, absolutely. But because I am... I don't know, I just, I'm happy. Yeah. Like, a life is good. Because I used to remember sitting back, lying on the grass, and 
feeling the earth rotation, like, holy crap, we're going really fast. Yes. But at the same time, I'm really still. And I just always took time, I guess, to observe and to be. And now it's just a thing. And I don't remember ever not being that way. So I'm just, some people are just like this. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if I'm just like this, all I need to do is fill my cup and then I'll be an example to others. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Beautiful, Because a lot of people, that's one of the things I noticed. Um, Most people aren't like this. That's another bubble that popped for me. I'm like, wow, you really are very unhappy. And you've been this way Mm -hmm. for a long time. So that's why you can't see um, your joy in yourself. Oh, that's why you can't see this particular racial movement is justified. Oh, I see. That's why you're not wearing a mask. Or, oh, I see. It's not the issue itself. Uh-huh. They're, it's like trying to explain water to a fish. You know what I'm saying? You can't. Yes. You gotta like pull them. You see fish? That's why you're not breathing correctly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got it. Get it back in I was like. <laughs> wow. I mean. <sighs> you know what it's like? Is... That's what it is. You gotta like give them examples. It's beautiful. And so I am in my studio are examples of peace you are yeah so you walk in the door and you unfold you're like oh wow okay like i've had people tell me like you radiate this peace and i'm like because i break down and i i experience any emotions i'm having a bad day like i had one yesterday in Mm -hmm. fact um it wasn't bad it was just blue Mm -hmm. you know those blue days where you're just i sure can't ever pick yourself up Mm -hmm. and the only thing that did was i went to brand practice and I just talked about it. They're like, hey, Sasha, how's it going? I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of shitty. Like, you know, I'm like, they're, and they're, because I'm so happy, they're like, good God, are you okay? I'm like, calm down, everybody. I'm just like, <laughs> I was like, I'm just having a really blue day. I'm really sad today. And I want to just talk about it for a second. And, and then we played music for hours. And then I came home and I was like, oh, that's what I needed. That filled you up. Yeah, and it was just fine. And it was like, and I posted about that today, and I said, you know, mental sickness is fine if you li- just process through it, process through it, and feel these emotions. It's just sickness. If you don't, it's mental illness, mm. and that's why we have a serious mental illness problem mm-hmm. in this country mm-hmm. and planet. <laughs> that reminds me of what? Have you heard this quote by uh, Rainier um, Maria Rilke? Let everything happen to you beauty and terror just keep going no feeling is final yeah that's exactly what you you were just letting it happen and just because you woke up feeling mm -hmm. blue doesn't mean you're wrong or bad or anything else is wrong or bad it's just the feeling and you're just being with it exactly then the music your way of filling yourself up Mm filled yourself up again and then yes exactly and I came home and I had a clearer head and I was like Mm -hmm. oh I see I've been having these dreams this week about the past I'm like, I must be purging things. Ooh, yeah. So my blueness yesterday was actually just grief of letting those letting it go. passings go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this morning, I like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, okay, I'm really sleepy. Blam! Woke up. I'm like, holy crap, it's the morning. I slept <laughs> so well. Oh, good. And that's what it is. It's like you process that. And my one of my favorite quotes is Lao Tzu. He said, only when your sickness appears does your sickness disappear. Right? I love that one. I have to go write that down. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's that simple. But because of the repressive uh, 
viewpoints and bipolar bipolarization on this planet. Everything's extreme, hot, cold, up, yes, down, this and this. Yes. We adapt that into our personalities, and so it's never a shade of gray, mm-hmm. right? And it's always gray. It's mm-hmm. just shades, man. Like you know, yeah. like nature has so many different varieties of green just in this backyard. I mean, like yeah, look at that. I mean, it's amazing, right? It's just, it's all good. It is all. If good. we just calm the hell down and uh. give ourselves the gift of the present moment. Yes. And break down. I call this a breakdown or breakthrough time, as I said before. Uh-huh. And because it's, we can't go any further, um, especially racially in this country. No. Um, we cannot go anywhere else. Like, no. you have to. It's and I understand. It's like black and white, and Asian. Everybody has been living together this whole time in general on Earth. Mm-hmm. So why do we feel like we can't? Like, mm-hmm. you're in the same neighborhoods, you're in the same cities, you're in the same places, grocery stores, foods are cooked by other races that you eat all the time. Like, so why are we still having this argument? I know, it does seem like we're beating a dead horse, doesn't it? You know, it's something that has just popped into my head that you, as you've expressed yourself throughout this some of these stories, you are a beautiful mirror for people. You love to mirror what what they should be seeing in themselves. I think that is a beautiful gift wow, you have. That's beautifully said. Thank you. Well, people look to others to see who they are and look at what you're giving back to them. You're giving back joy. You're giving back um, seeing the best in them. Mm-hmm. So many people don't do that. They harp right. on their their negativity and no wonder there's so many sourpusses walking around. We can't harp on that. We just have to be have the feeling to be or the need to be free and you give people that freedom by mirroring Thank that. You. That's just so right. That you're right. That's what I do. Thank you. Good. Good. I'm glad so you see good it. To, yeah, that feels so good to hear and it's it's natural. It's not draining. It's just mm-hmm. and it you know, because I it's because of the business I've been teaching mm-hmm. before that I was a preschool teacher you know, back in the way day, mm-hmm. uh, and was raised around teachers. Mm-hmm. So I see how to do it mm-hmm. um, and then fill my cup, mm-hmm. you know, and then reset. So, because people are like, why are you happy? I've had people go, why are you happy all the time? That seems so draining. I'm like, happiness is never draining. Trying to be happy is. Mm, I was like, good distinction. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. like, because people are trying, when you try something that is extra effort, that is un- completely necessary. Mm-hmm. You just, it's like Yoda said, do or do not, there is no try. I'm terrible at <laughs> But I, you know what I'm I saying. get it, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you have, did you experience any trials in, like you just said, you used to be a teacher and then you just started your own music studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been doing that for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you experienced here Lots in of Fort Carlin. <laughs> That's what you experienced in trying to start your own business. Now, would that be any different from anybody trying to start their own business? Oh, it's a small business thing. Or did you experience any other hardships simply because of your race in this vanilla town? Absolutely, all of that. So when you first start uh, a business, and you know they say the first year is the hardest, the reason it is is because uh, ego's involved with a lot of people. They think, oh, I've opened my doors, now everybody knows who I am. I'm like, nobody knows you. Okay, you got to market. You got to invest. You got to invest money, invest, invest, invest. And then the other thing is, you don't have a paycheck anymore. I remember my first breakdown. That's scary. (laughs) It's like, I started 
just with students. And I, I was a year in, I was still doing a couple part-time jobs. I said, all right, it's time to do it. And I remember picking up my paycheck back when you picked up paychecks. <laughs> and I held it in my hand and I was like, this is my last paycheck. Mm. And I freaked out. I mm -hmm. mean, I freaked out. I was like, <gasps> I went home like, <laughs> I didn't even cash it. I'm like looking at it like, <gasps> and the craziest, coolest thing happened. My dad, who never calls, you know dads, they don't call. Moms call, you put dad on the phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how it works <laughs> in your typical household there. Mm -hmm. My dad called me like moments later and he's like, greetings. He talks like that. Greetings. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't know why, but I felt I needed to call you today. I'm like, duh. Oh, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> and of I freaked love. out. Yeah. I'm like, Dad, I'm making all my paycheck. I'm freaking out. He's like, calm down. Just, just calm down. I'm like, ah. and he's like waiting for me to chill out. Mm -hmm. So he let me like cry, <laughs> and I was like, oh, what am I gonna do? He's like, just calm down. I'll give you some money, okay? So he wired me uh, 2,500 bucks uh, that, you know, so I could just calm down and relax mm -hmm. and create. <laughs> yes. Cause, uh, and then he, he just let me freak out for a minute. You just and that's what we're talking about. somebody to be there to yeah. let you be, not judge you. Yeah. This is a scary time. I, I was literally holding the last paycheck I would see for eight years later when I... I now work part-time at the music district just to get out of the house mm -hmm. and do and create and give the example of teaching to others, mm -hmm. you know? You've been <laughs> successful in your business, and you've been successful, it sounds like, in the music district, so mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. awesome. You seem like you're a person who likes to just make as many connections as possible. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that I have to, and I'm, I'm still, like, every day is a challenge. But running a business, 12 years today is still as challenging as it is, because COVID. Like, oh, we've got a shutdown here. My business dropped 60%. Oh. So I had to, like, that's what I'm saying. So luckily there were uh, disaster loans because of the business mm -hmm. that I got. Um, and, you know, uh, other grants, I got a couple other things. But seriously, if that wouldn't happen, like, I would be screwed. This is dropped 60%. And then I'm like, okay. And instead of like, ah, I'm like, okay, what's next? On like, like I go to the drawing board here in my office, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I have meetings with myself. I'm you like, strategize. Right. Exactly, because we did play a lot of chess. In games your dad like that. taught you yeah. that. Well, that comes directly exactly. down your father's line, doesn't it? So yeah, so I, I freak out for just I don't know, maybe like an hour, and then I'm like, okay, and I allow myself to do so, mm -hmm. and then I'm like, okay, so it's just time to sit down and like uh, get to work. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Good for you. <laughs> and have, it always works out. It really does. People don't need to recognize like. I have to, I'm, well, when you walk a small business line, it is always, you have to trust. The path only opens up this much, like a few feet So you feet only in front see a little bit each time. Mm -hmm. But it, if you keep going, it's always going to be there. So there's not as lot of security, but there's a no. lot of reward that is not necessarily financial, but right. other. It is, yeah, exactly. And then eventually it does become financial, right? Yes. And that's the thing. It's like, I've gotten to a point where I don't have to worry about going any low, low thing. Uh, even now in COVID, I'm like, okay, like I can handle, I'm in a pandemic as a small business owner and I've done fine for the, over this crest. I'm like, okay, thanks universe. I think, you know, 
keep it keep it coming good. <laughs> and so good. you just gotta let it go yes because it's all good has anybody accused you of playing the race card and and how did you handle that how did you deal with that yeah well it's interesting because i would have people i've had a person walk out on me and discussing race or who's white and literally was like i can't believe you're saying that about our people and <laughs> this was years ago and the very same person now is like good god we really have been messed up they their eyes <coughs> their eyes are open and oh, the reason they played the race card was because they just didn't know they didn't see how privileged their viewpoint was of how i don't know they just anytime you say you play the race card it means it's really meaning you're attacking the position of the privilege of white people mm-hmm. that's what it is have you ever had experiences that made you distrust the people who are supposed to protect us Wow. Luckily, I have not, but oh, my good. brother has. Your yeah. brother. Like, black men definitely are more of a target, mm-hmm. especially down south, mm-hmm. for sure. For some reason, though... Does your brother live in the south? Uh, he he does. He did, but he's in Baltimore. Oh, okay. Now, um, which still, you know, is a hotbed of... <laughs> yes. <laughs> ...of angriness. Uh, <laughs> but just, it is, it is a real thing that mm. black men are targeted. And he was just in, I remember him dating this white girl down south and uh, just going into her neighborhood, he'd get pulled over because she lived in the rich part of town and uh, just immediately get pulled over, you know, and followed in stores. I've gotten more things like from non-police, ironically, like retail, watched in stores, that kind of thing, profiling. For sure on applications that kind of stuff has been happen happened to me but luckily around here i'm yeah knock on wood <laughs> everything's good i'm so glad to hear yeah that. i'm very blessed to have not had any experiences like that in fact uh i feel like uh fort collins police and uh chief chief swoboda is really cool i mean i think they're i'm impressed and i tell them that and i did okay. i was like look i'm a black chick what I could say something <laughs> very wrong here, <laughs> but I just want to say thanks. I mean, you know, there's yeah. there's uh, ignorant people everywhere, but I feel like the there's here we're very blessed to have the, the police force that we do have. Okay. Um, other places, no, absolutely not. I feel like some places need to be defunded and the funds need to put be put into other other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I'm very grateful because people don't recognize. It doesn't take much to become a police officer, but then afterwards I feel like, um, and they're given these weapons, and it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need to have more uh, training, more than the six-month police academy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, six months, mm-hmm. that's it? And here's a life-or-death weapon. Exactly. Yeah. Like, how, how is that a thing? Mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe there was a shortage at one time. I'm wondering about the history of it. Like, mm-hmm. they had to get people in. Mm-hmm. But now we need to really think about... Mm-hmm. Um, this is this needs to be a years long, like college. Yes. Like, it's unfortunate the term defunding the police. I think that's turned off so many people because yeah. really all it is is this. Let's reallocate funds. Reallocation. How can we have to like break it down and build it back up in a, a good, a healing way for Absolutely. everybody? Not right. only the people who are targeted, but the policemen themselves. Like, mm-hmm. it's not good for anybody. Nobody. But it sounds like the police chief is is taking purposeful steps to 
to really listen to all people. Absolutely. How do you answer people who say, who talk against Black Lives Matter? Mm -hmm. I know there's great support for it around here, Mm -hmm. but also there's a lot of people who still are like, well, why do we have to only say Black Lives Matter? What is your response to people? Um, I, my response is uh, the fact that we have to say Black Lives Matter means that they didn't. Exactly. You know, I mean, think about, you know, like, you know, everything you've gone through. And I tell them mostly it's white people who say this. I'm like, mm-hmm. think about what you've gone through and imagine doing it as me. Exactly. And they're like, huh? <laughs> and they shut mm-hmm. up. Because it's like, you, they don't equate it with people. We still aren't seen as people. We're seen as this enemy or target. It's like we, I like crack an egg for breakfast just like you or take mm-hmm. out the trash or do this. We aren't seen that way. Mm-hmm. We're seen as, I don't know what the hell we're seen as. I know. We're seen as some entity or terror or whatever. And it's just, I'm living my life on a daily basis and I just want to be represented as an equal. We're not asking for anything else. We're not asking for any more. We're asking for a level playing field. That's a beautiful description of that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any advice for white people or any people, any other people of color, um, Asian Americans, Indian Americans, mm-hmm. Mexican Americans, who want to be an ally? What type of advice would you give? Kind of like what we are doing, just sit down and have those mm-hmm. intimate moments mm-hmm. or anything well, else? Well, first, it, the work is internal. you got a question... Uh, where you stand in in this talk mm-hmm. like what have you been believing as a race and as a person right uh, whether it be white uh, or uh, any uh, BIPOC or black indigenous people of color uh, where have you been standing before all of this awakening and where do you want to be after like wh- why is it if you're seeing yourself in a privileged state why was that and step out of that box for just a second by mm-hmm. having these conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the reaching out that I would give advice to. And that's hard for a lot of people. It is. Um, so I would suggest doing it online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we are in a shutdown. Most of us are working from home. Mm-hmm. It's easier to say things in an email sometimes than it is or a text. Like, a lot of people have reached out to me because, I don't know... You should check out my uh, Facebook page. And I post things about all of this. Oh, good. And people have reached out from all over the country. Wonderful. Especially white people who were like, you know, I really didn't realize my provision. The way you say things is really nice. What can I do? And I give them specific things according to their thing. And it takes me just five minutes. That's fantastic. And then we don't have to ever talk again, but they are like... Yeah. Oh my God, I've reached out to somebody. Yeah. And it was okay. And then they have the courage to do it again. Yeah, you take the fear out of it. Exactly. Because you're that welcoming person. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you follow people online, I'd say, and like they feel good to talk, reach out to, try it. Like mm-hmm. that's what I would suggest for people who've never hung out with anybody outside of the race. Anybody <coughs> of any race. Mm-hmm. Just try it. Yes. You gotta try. Like that's a good try. Yes. That's a excellent uh, recommendation. <laughs> you know, back when I was uh, first starting teaching um, immigrants, refugees, which are all mostly people of color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of immigrants who come from Eastern European countries, but a lot of them already are very 
fluent in English, so right. most of the people that I've ever taught have been people of color. And um, I remember at the very first or second day of teaching, um, I was talking with this other gentleman who I was a co-teacher with, and um, I said, we were talking about, I think allyship, I don't think that was the word we used at the time, but right. um, I said, oh yeah, I am completely colorblind. And he goes, no, you're not. And uh, I said, oh yeah, I am. I am totally a friend of all people of color. And uh, he's like, no, you're not colorblind. Everybody has a bias. And I didn't understand at the time. My heart was in a good place. My intentions were good. Absolutely. But I did not know that that phrase, what it meant. Mm. I thought it was a positive thing. I thought I'm out here. See, I'm showing my support. I'm constantly sticking my foot in my mouth (laughs) and learning from it. But you have to take that risk, and that's the scary thing. Oh no, somebody might think bad of me. Somebody might correct me. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to humble yourself? That's a place where we need to be. We need to be willing to be humbled. And I'm thankful that even though I didn't understand it at the time, he kept telling me why I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took time for me to process that and learn. I bet, yeah, I had to tell a recent friend, a really close friend about that, because she kept saying I don't see color to her, she's a teacher, mm-hmm. to her kids, and I was like, well, uh, I know your heart's in the right place, but you need to see color. It is a gift mm-hmm. to see it so you can learn more. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, at first she was just like, re- like reacted, mm-hmm. you know, she's very white, very, very pr- privileged. Uh, like, oh God, I've been teaching wrong the whole time. Like, <laughs> Just learn from it. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all that is because it was genuine where she was coming from. Mm -hmm. And so that's it. And the conversation lasted just that evening and then we moved on. Yes. But if you're not going to be willing to take these risks, uh, then you're going to stay the same mentally. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to continue this whole process. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people would rather do that right now. But it's not going to have, it has to, it's going to end. They they're going to have to learn. It will come to an end. <laughs> well, I've also heard that if you don't see color, then you don't see me. Like if yes. a person of color would say, if you don't see color, then you're not really seeing who I am because Absolutely. that's what makes me who I am. Mm-hmm. And you, your eyes do need to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the differences and the similarities are good. I mean, we just like we were talking earlier, the, the beauty of the black community to embrace all emotion and show all feeling that is a huge benefit that I would like to incorporate into my life. Yeah. I want to mimic it, but I also want to join it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to make my own version of that. Right, 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 right. I just, I, I just... find such joy in that, and I want to embrace that, embrace it in my own life, but embrace it with the people that I learned it from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and then you naturally can carry it to your friends and family and uh, mm-hmm. associates and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about, again. It's just these intimate connections that is going to be the real connector and the healing energy that we have. Mm-hmm. It's that small, mm-hmm. but that big. That's what a seed is. That was started, this huge tree here started from a seed. Mm-hmm. Like that biblical quote is from a mustard seed. You know what I'm yes, saying? Yes, it's true. It's, it's the truth. True. Like we got to recognize that. Mm-hmm. All of these things started from seeds and they are just huge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Trees, yeah. you know, a concept even, ideas. Uh-huh. Start right here. Ooh, that one little blip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you've been a fantastic guest. We have made it to the last three questions, my closing questions. Yeah. And um, it doesn't mean it might not last another 15 minutes, <laughs> but <laughs> these are some big questions. Um, what is your tip for making the world a better place? You've given us, like, 50 tips already, but, mm. like, could you come up with just one more, please? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, there is, uh, I'm going to just emphasize and reiterate self-certainty. Uh, people are relying too much on other people and places and things to define them, and that's why we're having these class wars, racial wars. Self-certainty is, is what I would suggest. Getting to know yourself, giving yourself time for self-care, filling your cup mm -hmm. so you can give from the overflow instead of trying to have somebody fill it up for you. Ooh, that's wise. Very, very well said. What are you the most thankful for? Oh man, blessings of the universe and the divine connection of existence. Because I am 1,000 trillion percent know this is in existence. I work with it daily. I bless the studio every day before people come in. Oh, how I ask lucky your for, students are. Yeah, you know, and I ask for, even for gigs, mm -hmm. I ask for greatness before gigs. My best self. I am a channel of this divine connection in, in existence in this universe of many, 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 many. And our avatars here who have been people not only like Jesus and Muhammad and Gandhi, but people also like Sister Rosetta Tharp, Jimmy mm -hmm. Hendricks, and Wes Montgomery, right? Yes. Have all been teaching us via the example of real, true, what is like, what I call for uh, being here in America, Christ consciousness. Uh, uh, it is basically being mindful. So that is what I'm very grateful for. All right, the last one. <laughs> what is your favorite quote? Oh! That is the Lao Tzu quote, that I, but there's another one. Uh, Howard Berger, sociologist, said, truth is a social construct merely relative to one's nature. Ooh. Yeah, so that's what we're going through now. Yes. Right? People have their own truths, so they think it's the truth. Yes. And that's why they can't see anything, and that's why they're fighting and resisting. Hmm. It's not because anything else is not true. They're just out, not outside of their own. So we have to remember mm -hmm. that. Those yes, two quotes are my favorite. Oh, and my tattoo. Ooh, what's your tattoo? Uh, I have several, but this one is Black Power Sign. And Alauda Equiano said, understanding is not confined to feature or color. And he was Gustavus Vasa, a slave who addressed the British Assembly in the 1800s on a very famous speech about slavery, mm -hmm. uh, saying, hey, this... Slavery sucks, right? And that was the thesis of his statement. Oh, I love And that. I remember as an African-American studies minor, I was like, good Lord, this is incredible. I'm putting this on my body. Uh-huh. So that's the third one. Always remember it. Oh. <laughs> we could talk for hours about everything else. We could go in so many different Down directions. the rabbit hole. Yes, we could. Um, thank you for being present with me today. Give me the gift of yourself and your wisdom and your experience and your story. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. I appreciate you spreading this joy. Mm -hmm. Blessed journey on it. And thank you thank for having you. me here. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
What I appreciate most is Sasha's willingness to be real about all the facets in her life. She is one of the most genuine people I have ever met. She's honest about her struggles as a small business owner, how she feels blue some days and needs to talk it out with friends, and about the trauma of her parents' divorce, but also the healing that came out of it years later. These aren't black-only problems. These are the human condition. We are all more the same than we are different. We can all relate to these struggles. The color of our skin does not change that. Saja is not more or less successful in this life because of her skin color. This just happened to be the beautiful pigment she was born with. True, her struggles can be compounded because others look at the melanin of her skin and attribute false stereotypes to it just as some could look at my skin color and assume generalizations about me that may or may not be true. This is why we need to surround ourselves with people different from us, to learn how they cope, what they struggle with, what their fears are, what brings them deep joy, and then maybe we'll find our commonality. And in that commonality, we'll find compassion, relatability, and hopefully a friend. The beauty of this is that we already know how to do this. We do this with people who share our same religion, or our same nationality, or even our favorite football team. We're not all automatically friends because of this commonality, it's just a choice we make. All we have to do now is be more intentional about meeting others outside of our bubbles and make an effort to find common ground. Slowly, relationships will build, as Saja points out, that it's the intimacy of relationship that fights racism. I had several aha moments with Saja when I felt like she was speaking directly to my heart. The first was when she said, Music is literally about the present moment. It is a gift. I have experienced what she was speaking of, but never able to phrase it in the way that Saja did. It brought me such joy to hear her express this in the way she did. I was left speechless when Saja was nonchalantly describing the Saturday clan rallies in the southern town of her youth. I was impressed with the insight she draws about how the South is healing faster because of that overt racism than other places where racism is more covert. It really does go back to what James Baldwin said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. The light bulb went off in my head again when Saja mentioned people reacting instead of responding. How many times have I been guilty of this very thing? Reacting is a knee-jerk behavior triggered out of our own pain or fear, but taking time to respond requires forethought that eventually influences the conversation in a genuine manner. I left my time with Sasha feeling hope for the future, a light heart, and joy deep inside. All that after an hour-long visit about racism. Some people are just like that. They leave a trail of joy behind them everywhere they go. May we all give our genuine selves to another, be present with them, and leave them with the knowledge that they are loved, listened to, and accepted, just as Sasha has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.